five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from North Carolina, USA is Katie Scott. Katie is currently a special needs nanny, actor, director and small business owner. Katie is married to her best friend Shaquan and recently celebrated her one-year kidney anniversary. Katie shares her story of receiving a kidney from an increased risk donor. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Katie? I am doing good, ready to go, off of work for now. So (laughs) good times, good times. Fantastic. People are going to be so fed up of me saying the same thing every time when it comes to a kidney warrior story, I say the same thing, but I really believe that it is true. Learning from people's lived experiences, there's nothing like it. And so I always love recording, speaking to kidney warriors and learning about their story, hearing their journey. So yes, I'm really excited to speak with you today. So let's dig right in and just go straight away. and. The first question I have is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? I guess I was diagnosed pretty early. I was around seven years old where my ureter actually stopped working and I needed to have a replacement surgery for that. And so my parents were kind of like worried about me because I kept on like wetting the bed and they were like, well, we know she's she's been potty trained for a long time. So they knew we knew something was wrong and they figured out that my ureter had actually had some problems. And so they had to go in and repair it when I was very young. And then as a result of that surgery, I had some scar tissue where that scar tissue caused my blood pressure to actually go to stroke level when I was like seven and a half, I suppose. So I went to like my pediatrician's office for a checkup and they like rushed me to the local children's hospital in Winston-Salem and they figured out the reason. And I, I was on blood pressure meds from the time I was seven years old because of that. And I also, there is like a family trait where Basically, it is chronic kidney disease where your kidney just kind of shrivels into nothingness. My dad had that happen to him as a child. And fortunately for my dad, his other kidney that did not shrivel up actually compensated and doubled in size. So he has one functioning kidney that works really, really well. I was a normal kid growing up. I just had the blood pressure medicines. Everything was running pretty smooth up until about... 
I think it was like 2016, 2017, where my doctors basically told me I was at the end and that my other kidney was not compensating and it was overworked basically. And it's a combination of things like the high blood pressure my whole life since I was a child combined with like my dad's chronic kidney disease that passed on to me. It kind of was like just a bad (laughs) combination of everything. So you had the genetic and you had Mm -hmm. the the complications of surgery. So it was a mixture that led you to that point. Yeah. So growing up then having kidney disease, what difference did that make in terms of your childhood? How old were you when you went on to dialysis or did you have your whole childhood dialysis free or was that something that came later? How did it affect your life? I was dialysis free up until October of 2018. And I was 29 when that happened. So I had a very normal childhood. Basically, my doctors always told me they were going to watch my kidney function, but nothing was like super concerning to them up until I was 18 years old. And I had a very fairly normal college experience. But chronic kidney disease can present itself in different ways. And so I do feel like, like from college, you know, up until I was on dialysis, I did have like those normal symptoms that you don't really think about, but they are consequences of chronic kidney disease, like having a hard time concentrating on things, um, short-term memory loss, things like that. They weren't super prevalent, but they were prevalent throughout my college experience, which caused some problems on its own, but it really wasn't super bad up until 2018, where I think at the beginning of that year in January, or probably late 2017, I saw a doctor about the possibility of having children. And I got like a bunch of different blood work done because I was soon to be engaged in a very good, healthy relationship. And we talked about having kids and My doctors had told me my whole life that if I wanted to have children, I had to go and see a specialist and they would have to determine whether that was a possibility. And in like late 2017, I saw a specialist and she was basically like, you know, you're really close on dialysis's door and you really need to worry about preserving your kidney function as long as possible. And so when I basically got that, I was alone (laughs) when I went to that specialist and it was really sad and I got really upset. And I talked to my fiance at the time and we were actually planning on waiting probably a year after that to get married. But I kind of told him that I didn't want to wait that long because I didn't want to be on dialysis on my wedding day, you know, (laughs) like, right. So we actually got engaged pretty soon. And we were married in March of 2018. And I started dialysis October of 2018. Wow! So it was a good decision that we made. I had a wonderful, beautiful wedding. I didn't have to worry about dialysis or anything, but my doctors told me I wasn't allowed to leave the country while you're in that transition period between not on dialysis and dialysis, just because it's really hard to predict when you're going to get sick enough to go on dialysis. So, yeah. (laughs) So there was a lot there to process and come to terms with in terms of even having to say, 
before you can start a family you have to go to a specialist to kind of Mm-hmm. get permission in a sense that it's going to yeah. be okay and all the rest of it so yeah that must have been very difficult for yeah. you to have to deal with and so you did as you mentioned end up having to start dialysis what type of dialysis were you on and how was the process of that yeah so in october of 2018 i was working i work with special needs children I was working as a teacher's assistant in a classroom and I started having side effects of my kidney failure that were pretty scary. My boss, who was the teacher in the classroom, would like tell me to do something and I would immediately forget what she told me. And that really freaked me out. You know, being with special needs children, like you need to remember everything that's going on and stuff like that. And so I called my doctor that day when I started feeling that way. And he basically booked me for surgery that weekend. It was a very quick turnaround. I actually hadn't been in that job for very long. And I had to tell my bosses, hey, like, I'm going into surgery this weekend. This is very sudden. I didn't realize this would happen. And I had to go on leave for my job immediately. And I think my doctor was trying to be proactive, my nephrologist, because before that point, when you're kind of told that you're probably going to be going on dialysis, my nephrologist asked me whether I would be more comfortable with hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis. And I chose peritoneal because I am a controlling person by nature. I like to do things myself. I'm very independent. And because I made that choice, that's why he made that choice for such a quick turnaround because he knew that that was my choice. And if we waited too long and I got way too sick, then, you know, you would have to go quickly into the hospital and not not have things planned. And it would be harder for me to get that peritoneal dialysis started if I had to do emergency dialysis in my neck. So yeah, he scheduled me for surgery that weekend. I went in and had surgery and since he did it so quickly, dialysis wasn't necessary to start right away. which made it a lot easier of a process. So they tested everything and I started dialysis within like five days of that surgery. My particular clinic, they train you for two weeks, every single day, Monday through Friday for eight hours a day. And your caretaker has to be with you. And so my husband had to take two weeks off of work and I was obviously out on medical leave with FMLA because of my surgery. And we were there for, yeah, it was like eight hours a day, five days a week. And they basically just drill everything into you and make sure that you are completely comfortable doing everything at home before you're by yourself. That's a (laughs) very, very intense course. But through that, you maintained more independence. Was it Mm -hmm. better for you? Did it work out well? Or Do you think you would have been better off at the hospital? Like, did it work out the way that you hoped? So I personally liked having the hospital and where I was being trained was actually about 35 minutes away from where I lived. So um, there were clinics, I believe, that were closer to me, but the doctors that I liked and everything were that far away. I would have had to change doctors and hospital systems and stuff like that if I wanted to go to like a hemodialysis clinic that was in the city that I lived. 
And I had been with these doctors and this system for so long. And if people know the American healthcare system, it's just easier if everything can be streamlined. (laughs) So I just did it that way. And it was a lot easier. And I could keep my doctors that I had been with for so long, basically since I was a child. It was all in like that same system. And I really liked the independence. I liked that, you know, if I wanted to go on vacation, I could just bring my bags with me and my machine with me. I didn't have to call or say, can I come to this hemodialysis clinic? You know, and it's just a lot easier. And I had read and I'd been on different support groups that the peritoneal dialysis for people who had had both was not as harsh on their system as hemodialysis. And I kind of thought maybe I could still work full-time and do the peritoneal dialysis at the time. Later, that was proven incorrect. (laughs) And I was also working with kids at the time, and I didn't want a fistula on my arm while I was working with children. I thought that would probably not be a great idea. (laughs) So it was a combination of things. So you went on to have a transplant and with Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast, I really want to have that full picture. I really want to explore every aspect of kidney disease and chronic illnesses that are related to kidney disease. And I've done interviews with kidney warriors before where they've spoken about the transplant, but with your story, it is a little different in the sense of an increased risk donor was your donor. And so I really wanted to delve into that. And by doing this, I'm not trying to dictate to anybody what they should do when it comes to their journey, but to let people know that actually this is an option and this is what happened in your experience and your case. And just to let people know what all the options are. So your kidney came from an increased risk donor. So for the listeners who (laughs) might not be aware of what that is, what is an increased risk donor? Yeah. So the term increased risk, that is the term I think for like the last like three to five years, it was initially called, I believe like a high risk donor and they've changed the term. But basically, usually when you go into your transplant training so that you can qualify to receive a transplant, you go through all of the training. They tell you how the surgery is going to be. You meet your doctor or the surgeon who will possibly perform it. At least this is what happened for me. And then during that training session, I can't remember if I was on dialysis yet or if I was almost on dialysis. I think I was almost on dialysis at this training. But anyways, what they told me was they brought me into a room where I met with like a social worker and a hospital worker, and they asked me if I would be interested in accepting an increased risk donor. On the piece of paper, it kind of talks about all the different types and what that means. Basically, it can mean a variety of things. It can mean that the person has uh, hepatitis. It can mean that the person has increased risk behaviors, meaning that they were possibly in jail or homeless or living in a shelter, or they were an IV drug user. They were around IV drug users. Obviously, when you are in those types of lifestyle categories, 
there is a higher risk for you to contract certain diseases that can affect the organ. But to be clear, and they made this clear to me before, you know, when they were talking to me about it, there is a lot of testing that goes on before they offer you a kidney regardless. So they will test everything and make sure everything is good. The increased risk is just based on these behaviors that could show up possibly after. And it's just a very small chance that something could happen because they do obviously rigorously test organs. But there is such a high standard for organ donation that these types of organs, which are the increased risk organs are actually normally younger. They're normally a lot healthier, healthier, meaning like younger people who have had these behaviors, but not necessarily there's anything wrong with the organ. But because of those behaviors or like the hepatitis or something like that, you know, can't just say this goes to everybody. You have to be aware and accept those risks to accept that organ. Is that clear? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you were presented with the option of mm-hmm. an increased risk donor, you clearly said that you would consider having an organ right. from. So why was that? Was there a part of you that was like, I could get something, something could be passed on to me? What was your thought process around considering that? Well, my thought process was just because I'm offered something doesn't mean I have to accept it. And they made that very clear. They were like, you know, this is just you signing this piece of paper just means if we find a donor that we think is a really good match for you, and they are in this increased risk category, this means that we can call you and talk to you about it and see what you think. It's not like, sign this piece of paper and you're only going to get increased risk donors. Or it's not like if you sign this piece of paper, you have to accept whatever we give you. That's not what the piece of paper means. It just means that, hey, if we find something and it is in this category, you are on our call list to call and see if you would like it. And I was aware at the time that me personally, I'm O negative blood type, which which means I will wait longer for an organ. So I was like, you know, I'll sign this piece of paper and sure, like if they find something and I'll think about it and hopefully it'll work, you know? So you got the call. I did. <laughs> and first they... call. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the very first call. Yeah. And, wow. <laughs> so the call came and they told you that the person was an increased risk donor. So it's gone from the hypothetical now to the real. You're in that situation now and you're being asked the question, will you accept this kidney? Right. What happened from there? So what happened at that point was they actually told me that I was number three on the list for this increased donor. They told me that the donor, their increased risk behavior was that not that they were an IV drug user, but that their family was suspicious and knew that he possibly could have slept with other IV drug users. That was his high risk behavior. He was in his late 20s. He was very healthy. They don't give you much details other than that. 
And so that was all I was given. They also told me that the donor was a very good match for me. They emphasized that heavily when they called me. They said, this donor is a great match in their late 20s, very healthy. And we would suggest that you highly consider. They also said, however, you are our second backup person. They told me there were two people ahead of me. But when you know does this organ distribution to patients, they always make sure there's a backup for a backup because you never want a kidney to go to waste because so many people need them. Absolutely. Um, and it was really hard to make the decision. I was completely shocked. It was my first call. It hadn't even been two years since I'd been on the transplant list, which they told me my wait would be two to five years more than likely five years because I'm O negative. It was really shocking. (laughs) And it was also during the pandemic. And I had just started a part-time nanny job for a special needs family. And I think I had only been with this family for six weeks. And so I know that this sounds silly, but I felt bad, like, (laughs) because childcare during the pandemic was so hard to find. And I felt bad that I was like, if this happens, I have to just leave this family for a long time because transplant is a long recovery process. But yeah, that was the call. (laughs) So you made the decision to accept the kidney and you had your surgery. How was that? How was your recovery? How was that experience? Yeah. Yeah, So I packed my bag, not knowing if I was going to get the kidney. I went to work the next day I had told the mom I was working for what was going on. She was super nice and happy for me, but it was kind of a nerve wracking day when I was at work because she was like, have you heard anything? I'm like, nope, haven't heard anything. And so I didn't get the call, I think until about like five o'clock that night saying, hey, you need to be at the hospital. The kidney is yours the following morning. And so I, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. And I told my husband and he texted his supervisor at work. We told family and I went in for prep that morning around 8.30 and my surgery was at seven o'clock that night. They flew the organ in. I don't know where it was flown in from, but I do know that it was like helipadded to my hospital and they were prepping the organ. And then I rolled in around seven o'clock for my surgery And my surgery went fairly well. There was some complications with the nerves in my stomach when they cut everything open. They had to do some nerve repair, which made my surgery last a lot longer than it normally does. And so that was a complication. And I woke up basically with my whole right thigh was numb from the surgery and the whole area where my surgery happened, like where the cuts happened, that was completely numb as well. I couldn't really feel the exit site where they had stapled everything. And I woke up in the ICU by myself because this was during COVID. Another thing I was really upset about was my husband basically waited until he was told that the surgery was finished and they told him he could not come to the ICU. And he drove home, which is 35 minutes away. And 
he had all of my things and he said, well, can you put this in her room? And they said, no, we can't take any of her stuff. So I woke up in the intensive care unit at the hospital with no phone, no television in the room because it's the ICU. There was nothing. I woke up by myself and I had to call a nurse and just be like, how am I supposed to communicate? And they told me, oh, well, you can use my cell phone if you want to call somebody. And I'm like drowsy and groggy and like freaking out and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And the only number I could remember off the top of my head was my dad's phone number. And I called my dad, I believe it was 6.30 in the morning when I woke up and was in a panic because I was like, when you wake up from surgery, it's like your brain is not functioning very well. So I was like almost having a panic attack. Where's my husband? I need my things. Like... I'm just in this, I see you by myself. And they had this rule at the hospital where you could have one visitor a day for three hours. So my dad was so kind. He rolled out of bed. He brought me his iPad to the hospital. But because of their one visitor a day rule, if my dad would have come in, then my husband wouldn't be able to come in that day. So my dad basically just dropped off the iPad and then the nurse brought me the iPad so that I would have some way to like communicate to people. And I called my sister that morning as well. Like I can't get in contact with my husband. My husband had not slept. He went home and was like, he was dead. Like, of course. And I think they got into contact with him about like around 830 when he had only had like four hours of sleep. And they were like, Katie's asking for you. Can you go to the hospital? And of course he's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, my husband has been the most amazing caregiver and partner through this whole journey. And he sure enough, woke up, brushed his teeth, got all my stuff and brought it to the hospital. I think by like 11 o'clock that morning or something. And then I had all of my things. And it's a crazy day. (laughs) It's things like that, that being in the pandemic it might seem like a small thing to some people listening but when you're going through a major operation and you're by yourself and you don't have your things it can really add to the stress of the situation and anxieties that must have been really challenging for you to go through and being by yourself as well it must have been really frightening so again the warrior in you like pushing (laughs) through that situation That must have been really, really tough. It was scary because I wasn't aware if the kidney had actually kicked in yet. And so what was at the forefront of my mind is during the surgery, they actually also took out my peritoneal dialysis tubing as well. So I had no way to do dialysis, right? So if the kidney didn't wake up, they were going to have to put that tube in my neck until the kidney woke up. So that was super concerning to me at the time too. There was a lot of anxiety, like trying waking up and dealing with all of that. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that is taking a big chance there really, because it it leaves you with no backup if you had a sleeping kidney. So there was a lot there that you had to (laughs) deal with and wrap your mind around. So having received the kidney from an increased Mm -hmm. risk donor, how is the kidney functioning? How is your health? How has the experience been since? 
Yeah. So when I was in the hospital, they actually told me that he had that the kidney and the donor had tested positive for an, for an STI. Um, and it was, I can't remember honestly off the top of my head, which one it was. I've had so many tests. I tried going through one of my medical portals. I couldn't find the test, but basically they were like, it was an STI that just is treated with an antibiotic. It was very simple. But didn't that still scare you that you were told that he had an STI? Yes. And they told me that while I was getting prepped for the surgery. So (laughs) it wasn't after surgery, they told me this, it was before. So I still could make that decision to not do it. Right. They were very upfront with me about it. But again, I feel like when you have any type of chronic illness, or, you know, if you're a kidney warrior, you're constantly weighing the pros and the cons of treatment. So every single step of my journey, I've tried to take the emotion out of it and really weigh like the pros and cons of this treatment. I don't think I mentioned this, but before like leading up to my surgery, they had actually told me that my adequacy was failing with my current dialysis treatment, which was nine hours every night on the peritoneal dialysis machine. And they were fairly certain that soon I was going to have to be on that machine 12 hours every night, which is a very long time to be in a bed or connected to a machine. I was lucky to where I had very little side effects from the dialysis, but you know, I did have a lot of water weight. My blood pressure was increasing. It was very, very high. And so again, that played into everything. So I kind of was like, you know what, if, this is all that they say is wrong with the kidney. And also they said that this testing had like a 50% accuracy because you have to wait a few days to get that 100%. Yes, you have this STI or not, but they don't have that time when you're transplanting a kidney. So even with that, they said this test is only like 50% accurate. There might be nothing wrong with the kidney at all, but we have to tell you this possibility, obviously, because it tested positive. Just to explain to anyone listening, there is a time limit on how long a kidney can be outside of the body. Yeah. Um, So it's not like they can kind of put it on ice for a week or so while they're waiting to find these things out. There's a time limit on it. So there is that pressure as well to say a decision Mm -hmm. has to be made. Yeah. And so I was very meticulous and like, you know what? I'm here. I'm prepped. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it because I really want to be free from this machine. I don't want to be on a machine for 12 hours a night. And my doctors were like, it's a great match for you. This STI is just treated with an antibiotic for a week and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, cool. And then after transplant, when I woke up, they gave me the antibiotic with all of the other crazy amount of medications that they give you post-transplant. It's a lot. And not to mention like the pain meds because abdominal surgery is no joke. (laughs) My incisions were stapled together. They were like actual staples that had to be removed later. They weren't like the dissolvable staples. So it was fairly painful. It wasn't an easy ride by any means. So I was on a lot of different medications. So they gave me the antibiotic and Everything was working really, really well. I think my kidney did wake up. It woke up right away. They just didn't tell me that and all of the confusion. 
And I think within 24 hours of me having the kidney, my creatinine went from like a 14 to a four. They were pumping that much fluid through my body. The nurses were coming in because I had a catheter because they were pumping so many fluids. My legs were swollen from the amount of fluids that they were pumping through trying to get my creatinine as low as possible and just seeing what the kidney can do. And it was working beautifully. They told me that it's not a hundred percent match, but it's very close and probably the closest you could ever get outside of your family. So it was also just because of how good of a match the kidney was that played into my head as well and was very happy that I decided to do that. And yeah, I was in the hospital because of COVID for only four days. I was in the ICU for two days. I was in on the main hospital floor for two days. And once I was able to walk sort of with assistance, they basically were like, we got to send you home because it's more of a risk of you being in the hospital than it is for you to go home. And if you have any complications, we would rather treat it. If there are complications, we can treat it at home versus you being here because this was September 30th of 2020. So this was, I believe, Only here, healthcare workers were just barely getting the vaccine. I think it was still, the pandemic was a thing. Yeah, Yeah. it was early because it started in March. So, and then September, I think the vaccine had just barely been released for healthcare workers, I think. And the other thing that was interesting was my hospital. I had my transplant at Wake Forest Hospital in Winston and They told me that normally they have a dedicated ICU for transplant patients, but because of COVID, they actually turned that whole ICU unit for COVID patients and the transplant patients had to be in the ICU with everybody else. When you're in the ICU, you run that risk of infections and stuff. So they were really trying to get me out and push me onto the main floor in my own room and then get me basically out of the hospital completely. It really is amazing how much COVID has made a difference in terms of care and how things are done and and how it had such a massive impact on your recovery. Because usually when I'm speaking to transplant patients, they're in the hospital at least a week. So Mm -hmm. four days, that's really, that's really quite something. So how has life been with your new kidney? What difference has it made to your life? It has been amazing. I just celebrated one year post-transplant. Congratulations. So great. Um, A few, I believe it was like about a week after my transplant, they had gotten the blood work back for the STI and everything was negative. So they told me I didn't need to finish those antibiotics that I was on. And basically it was a healthy kidney. There was nothing wrong with that kidney. And it was actually a great kidney for me. It woke up right away. And I think at one point my creatinine got down to like a 0.85, but now it's kind of like sitting right at like 0.9 to 1.0 at the most it's ever gotten to, which is a great creatinine for you fellow kidney warriors. Absolutely. (laughs) And I feel It's kind of crazy how when you're on dialysis, I've tried to say like, you just feel like you're on life support and you're surviving. 
And I feel now that I'm post-transplant, I'm like thriving. I have so much more energy. I feel like I can actually contribute more to my household in terms of like cleaning and just cooking dinners and stuff like that. I have a lot more energy to do things. I've been able to kind of slowly get back into work. I'm back at school full time. I'm trying to change careers because childcare during a pandemic has kind of, I'm kind of switching. I kind of want to go more an office route. Um, I'm in a paralegal program at the local community college, and I'm trying to get that finished next semester so that I kind of have a more, a career change that I could possibly do, like without being exposed to germs as much because of the compromised immune system you do have to deal with post-transplant. Those anti-rejection meds are no joke. I recently caught a cold from one of the kids I was working with and I was down for a week and it was a cold. But besides that, not having to have a machine next to my bedside every night and actually have a nightstand again is really nice. (laughs) Can like have my books on it and stuff and not having to go to my clinic appointments and being able to work out again and try and lose some of that belly weight that you get on PD from all that sugar going into your body every night has been really, really nice. Yeah. And just being able to kind of feel a little normal, which is hard when you're on dialysis, you just are so tired. The energy difference is probably the best thing that I can say is just having more energy. (laughs) So it sounds like I would say that risk, that chance you took to the organ, knowing that the donor was an increased risk donor, you know, has worked out really well. And from what you're describing has changed so many things in your life and has opened up so many new opportunities and career options have now become open to you. So through everything that you've experienced and learned along this journey, what advice would you give to somebody who's just been diagnosed with kidney disease or somebody who's further along in their kidney disease journey, what advice would you give to them? I would tell them it's not a death sentence. I feel like when you first get the diagnosis, you can kind of go down that rabbit hole of death and gloom. And that's not true for everyone. And when you're feeling really bad, There is light at the end of the tunnel. There are treatment options that are very positive and sustainable. I'm a huge advocate for transplant. I mean, I told my husband I would go through transplant a million times over being on dialysis. I think you can get comfortable on dialysis and some people can get scared of the transplant surgery, but I promise you it's, well, for me, it was totally worth it to be able to have that freedom again and just worry about taking pills versus being on that machine. It can be really draining. I personally never went through hemodialysis, but I have heard it is very hard on you and very tiring. And just keep going. Just take it one day at a time. And I also feel that a lot of people, when they're sick, a lot of times our society can make you feel like you're not a person if you're not contributing. And you 
should be proud of yourself every day for surviving the day when you're going through this disease. If you just survive the day, if you just like take a shower, like just take a shower and try and just make it through the day. And if you do that, then that's a huge accomplishment. I used to have to tell myself that a lot on dialysis because it was really hard. And then I got that call and everything changed and I'm doing amazing and it's there for you. And people have transplants very late in life. (laughs) I don't even know if there's really an age limit at my transplant clinic. It's basically based on your health. So look into it, weigh all of your options, lean on those support networks if you can, because they are really, really helpful. My husband has been like my rock through the whole process. (laughs) So if anyone wanted to get in contact with you or follow you online, what are your details? So I am on Instagram at Kate underscore monster 89. And I am also on TikTok at that same Kate underscore monster 89. I don't know if anybody is a theater fan listening, but I have a degree in theater. My fellow actors used to call me Kate monster because of the musical. So yeah. That's <laughs> I, where that name comes from. <laughs> that's what that's where that name comes from. People ask me all the time. But yeah, you're welcome to DM me if you have any questions. I follow a bunch of kidney warriors on my Instagram and it's nice to know that there are people sometimes you can feel very alone. And I know that me as someone in my late twenties, early thirties, I felt very alone. <laughs> so those online support groups or social media and TikTok and things, when people share their journeys, it really does help a lot. And you can get a lot of good advice. Obviously, always talk to your team and your doctors first, but it can kind of get you thinking of different things or different options you can do and talk to them and ask them those kind of questions. Thank you. Do you have a final word for the listeners? I just want to say, well, thanks to you for interviewing me. That's really cool. It's been really fun. I just want to say thanks. If you want to reach out and chit chat or you need someone just to say, oh, I've had a really bad day. I'll just, you know, message you back and be like, you can do it. Kidney warrior. You got it. We're strong. Kidney warriors are super strong. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for spending this time with me and sharing such great advice thank you so much thank you so much and keep going guys we are strong kidney warriors thank you for listening to diary of a kidney warrior podcast and don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle diary of a kidney warrior please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend new episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love.